Today in the Journey with Steve DeWitt, a message on how Moses points to Christ. Liking Moses and loving Jesus means following Moses' own faith, valuing Christ more than all of these other things. The writer of Hebrews says it was actually Moses seeing by faith the worth and the value of knowing and having Jesus Christ. Welcome to The Journey with Steve DeWitt, senior pastor and Bible teacher at Bethel Church in Northwest Indiana. Jesus said to the Jews, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. And these are the very scriptures that testify about me. This concept was so astonishing that the book of Hebrews was written just to explain it. Today, Pastor Steve dives into this intriguing subject with a message titled, If You Like Moses, You'll Love Jesus. You can listen online at thejourney.fm. Here's Pastor Steve. Well, I hope you've enjoyed the the Moses series. Here we are, the grand finale of the Moses series. I trust it's been a blessing to you. It certainly has been for me. I have enjoyed teaching on Moses and and talking about spiritual leadership and and all the things that all of us can relate to. I can certainly relate to in my role here. But what have we seen with Moses? We have seen a lot. I mean, we started with Moses uh, in, the, in the Nile amongst the, 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 the reeds there in the basket. And uh, from there, we followed him in his uh, wilderness time, 40 years there in Midian and uh, the burning bush and the plagues and the exodus and the crossing of the Red Sea and whiny, complaining Israelites and... Uh, some failures on his part, uh, his, his death last week, and today, the grand finale. You know, when we talk about Moses, we're, we're talking about somebody that not only does Christianity deeply admire, but uh, the major religions of the world admire, uh, admire Moses, none more than Judaism for ob- obvious reasons. Uh, but pretty much everybody admires Moses. Uh, his moral code from Mount Sinai is the defining moral code for certainly Western civilization, if not the world, uh, to this day. And he certainly stands as one of the greatest leaders in human history. But he's no Jesus. Okay? And that basically is the point of the sermon today. Moses is no Jesus. He's great. He's amazing. He's wonderful. He's no Jesus. And he's not even close. As great as Moses was, and there are, there's a thousand things to love about Moses, there's a million things to love Jesus more than Moses. Okay? And this is the challenge that we have whenever we are talking about a great person who there is much to admire in them. Uh, We can easily venerate them, place them a little too high, and in doing so, bring a closer gap between that person and the real greatest of all time, who is is Jesus. In fact, I would say this, that everything that you like about Moses, Jesus is the greater and fuller completion of that quality that you love in Moses. In fact, we could even ask the question, how could somebody love Moses? or like Moses, and not like Jesus as well. 
That would be like liking ice cream and hating cold stone. <laughs> or liking storms and, and hating rainbows. Liking and loving Moses and Jesus should go together as long as you are liking Moses and loving Jesus. Okay? That's the right way to do it. Right is to like Moses, admire Moses, but to love Jesus. Why is that? That's the message today. Why is Jesus so much better than Moses? And so today, we are out of the Old Testament. We are into the New Testament, and we are all the way to the book of Hebrews. And the main point of, of Hebrews is, this, is the main point of the message today, that everything that's great about Judaism and the Old Covenant is even more wonderful and greater in the New Covenant and in in the Messiah, in Jesus Christ. To be the greatest of all time, you have to be greater than number two. Moses is number two, Jesus is number one. And there is a huge gap between those two. So, how is Jesus better than Moses? This is where we're going. We're in Hebrews chapter three. We're gonna be in chapter three and chapter 11 today. We're in Hebrews three, and uh, the writer of Hebrews, He's writing, or she even possibly, writing Hebrews and tooling along about how Jesus is, is better. His covenant's better, his, you know, he's better, greater than the angels. He gets to chapter three, and now here, early in the, in the book, he addresses Moses. Look at verse one. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him, who appointed him, just as Moses also faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. Now in some ways the whole book of Hebrews, and in many ways the entire Bible, is summarized by that, those two words in verse one, consider Jesus. And that's what I want everybody here to do today, to consider Jesus. That word, Greek, the Greek word there for consider, it, it, it means this. It means to give attentive scrutiny to an object, to fix your attention on something or somebody. Give careful thought to this. And we're coming off chapter 2, which at the end of chapter 2 celebrates that Jesus is our faithful high priest, a better high priest. He is our sin satisfier. He is the propitiation of our sin, satisfying the wrath of God. He gets to verse 1 and he says, and that's why I want everybody to consider Jesus, to give your attention to Jesus. Who else deserves our worshipful attention? And the answer to that rhetorical question in Judaism would be, well, what about Moses? Moses was great, wasn't he? Should we consider Moses or should we consider Jesus? So Hebrews here now puts the great Moses in his proper place. And where would that be? Well, by comparing Moses' role in redemption to Jesus' role in redemption, the writer here uses two analogies to compare. And the first one is 
that Jesus is the architect and builder of redemption. Moses merely served in the house. Okay, so the picture is one of building and architecture. If we think of a grand house, like to think of the Biltmore House in North Carolina, if you've ever been there, that is really a fun place to visit, one of my favorite places to visit. Uh, the grounds and the house, and I mean, it's, it really is an amazing, like aesthetically wonderful experience to go to the Biltmore House. And that house has been around for over 100 years. And for 100 years, people have walked up to the Biltmore and thought, wow, what a grand house. Look at the shape, look at the architecture, look at the design. And they admire the architect of that house, William Morris Hunt, and they still talk about him because look at the house that he designed and he built. Now, over the last 100 years, there have been many, there have been many servants who have worked at the Biltmore House, and you can go there all you want, and you're probably not going to find any great tributes to the servants who've worked in the house, but there is great tribute to William Morris Hunt who designed and built the house. And that is the point that he is making here in the first illustration. That in redemption, Moses was a very wonderful and faithful servant in the house, but Jesus is the designer and the builder of the house. And as such, is of greater glory than any servant, even Moses, and what he did serving in the house. Therefore, Jesus, the builder, is better than Moses, the servant. Do you get it? Okay, so that's the first point that he makes. He goes on now. Look at verse, uh, I, I believe, verse five. Now, Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. So Jesus is God's son. Moses is a servant, awesome servant, amazing servant. Love Moses, but he's no son. Jesus is the son of, of God. And there's no disrespect to Moses here, and there's no disrespect, by the way, to you and me, who are also servants in this house. It is a great thing to serve in the house of God. But it's a whole nother level of thing to be a son of God. Because sons, by inheritance, get the house. The servants don't get the house. The son is lord of the house, and eventually over the house, and over all the servants. And again, I just note here that a few weeks ago, we, we talked about how dangerous it is when you're serving in the house to somehow elevate one of the servants in the house like they're a son in the house. And we say, we don't do that. We're disillusioned whenever we pick some human uh, teacher, pastor, elder, leader, whoever it might be in the church, and we elevate them up too high. No, no, there's only one son in the redemptive house of God, and his name is Jesus Christ. And therefore, all praise amongst the servants is not to be to another servant, but to be the son and Lord of the house. His name is Jesus, and he's way better than Moses. Yeah. Way better than Moses. Okay, so that's chapter three. Let's skip ahead now to uh, Hebrews 11, the very famous Hebrews 11, this chapter of faith. 
And uh, many of you have probably read Hebrews 11. If you haven't, I would encourage all of you to. It's one of the most encouraging chapters in all of the Bible because the writer has this cloud of witnesses, which he calls them in chapter 12, verse 1, and he says, uh, he goes through this list of Old Testament figures and he catalogs all of the, these amazing displays of faith where they trusted God in the, in the troubles of life and in the sorrows of life. They trusted God anyway. And so in this list, there is no surprise that we would come to find Moses, okay? So what does he say about Moses? Look at verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God to suffer than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king. This story should sound familiar to you, by the way. Okay, we've, this is what we've been studying, is this narrative of Moses' life. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch him. Okay, so again, that's familiar now here at Bethel Church. When I read that, we're like, oh yeah, we know all about that. We got that all figured out. We're wonderful biblical theologians on the life of, of Moses. But I want you to see what the writer here is pointing out about Moses himself. That in Moses' estimation, the greatest of all time was not Moses. That Moses himself viewed Jesus as being not just greater, but worth all of the reproach and all of the suffering and all the things that he went through in his ministry that, that it was, you say, why did Moses do it? What was his motivation? The writer of Hebrews says it was actually Moses seeing by faith the worth and the value of knowing and having Jesus Christ. And that's what he catalogs here in this text. Now you might say, Wait a second, isn't it like 1,500 years after Moses before Jesus comes, like a millennium and a half? You trying to tell me that somehow Moses saw Jesus a millennium and a half before Jesus appeared on earth? And that is exactly what I am saying, and the reason I'm saying that is because that's what the Bible says. Here is what Jesus himself says in John chapter five. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. He's speaking to the Pharisees. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he, see it, wrote of me. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the Torah, what was the Torah all about? Even when Moses was writing it as a prophet of God, Moses, in the writing, saw a future fulfillment of these promises, a Messiah, a Savior, such that Moses, Jesus says, Moses wrote about me. 
Now remember, Moses met face to face with God. He came down from the Mount Sinai, his face just glowing with the glory of God. Who knows all the things that God might have told Moses that he never wrote down? Who knows how much about God's plan Moses maybe knew about? Sufficient that Jesus would say, all of that writing? Yeah, Moses was writing about me. We know that after uh, Jesus' resurrection, he, he appears to those two disciples on the Emmaus Road, and you, you know, probably know the story. He says, what are you talking about? And they say, we're talking about what everybody's talking about. Where have you been? On the moon? What's going on? He goes, like what? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. We thought he was a great, you know, he was a great prophet, and, 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 and uh, the Pharisees took, killed him, but some women now are saying they've seen him alive. And Jesus responds with the greatest sermon you and I have never heard. Here is Luke 24, verse 27. And beginning with, note, Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So what can we know for sure? We can know for sure that if you ask Moses, who is the greatest of all time, Moses wouldn't say Moses that Moses would have said, it is Jesus. It is the Messiah of God. He is the greatest. And he is the one who motivated me to walk away from all these other things, which is really where I'm going now. We see that with Moses, he so valued Christ that he willingly set aside other things that most people value equal or even more than Jesus. Look at verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God. Moses in his life, and don't miss this because we read this about the Bible characters, and it's easy to go, well, they're Bible characters. Put yourself in his shoes. He is in the royal court. He is, he is royalty in the great empire of its day, and yet he walks away from this life of privilege and this life of status as a member of the royal family. There was a day when Moses abdicated his title and his status and chose rather to identify with the slaves. The prince became a slave. Does that sound like anybody else you know? So he valued Jesus over social status and social standing. Look at verse 25. Choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Here is the second thing that Moses valued Christ over, and that is here described as the fleeting pleasures of sin. Now, as a prince in Egypt, I mean, this was not like, you know, they weren't having uh, Bible studies every morning and going to Sunday school on Sundays. To be a prince in Egypt, this was a, a godless nation where 
the kind of hedonistic opportunities that went along with being in the royal family of the great empire of its day were all around them all the time. He had access to any pleasure that royalty and status allowed. The problem isn't pleasure. The problem is the description, the fleeting pleasures of sin. We're not talking about holy and righteous pleasures that God has built into creation. We are talking about the immoral enjoyment of pleasures. These are to be avoided. And this is always one of the challenges that we deal with when we are tempted to sin is that all temptation in sin in some way is maximizing the immediate fleeting enjoyment of the pleasure and minimizing somehow the consequences of that pleasure. As Proverbs says, stolen waters are sweet. There's something intriguing, exciting, the goosebump that some sinful opportunity provides to us that our hearts sort of get excited about enjoying them, and this is true no matter what the sin. Lying over truth, greed over generosity, immorality over purity, jealousy over graciousness, hate over love. You can pick any sin and there is an immediate apparent positive or desirable pleasure, but we are blind to the lasting consequences of it. Sin is pleasurable for a season. You know, uh, sadly, we live in a day where this is so pumped at us all the time. Entertainment and media always highlights the immediate sort of goosebump of sin, and it rarely deals with the consequences of the sin. So you know, uh, this afternoon, you might see uh, a, a beer commercial where these guys are drinking tons of beer. They're getting drunk. They're laughing. They're having a great time. You'll never see a beer commercial with you know, the guys at the toilet going, Bleh! or there'll be some scene of adultery, and the camera moves slowly over the body shapes in a kind of alluring way, highlighting the immediate pleasure, but rarely do they ever show the consequences of that, the agony it creates in the heart, in the relationships, amongst the children. Sin is pleasurable for a season, but it is always insane in the long run. I wonder if maybe today you might be caught up in the fleeting pleasure of sin. There is a kind of plus that right now seems greater than the possible negative and you are being tempted to ignore the consequences. I want you to see in Moses somebody who denied an immediate pleasure in order to get a greater pleasure. You're listening to The Journey and the very first part of a message called, If You Like Moses, You'll Love Jesus. If you'd like to replay it or share it with a friend, visit us online at thejourney.fm. TheJourney.fm is also where you can find our entire message archive, send us an email, discover relevant studies, or connect with us on Facebook so you can receive instant access to our current releases from The Journey and other updates. Again, that's TheJourney.fm. Well, we're so glad to have you with us today. Your faithful support as listeners helps guide countless souls toward a brighter spiritual future. As a listener-supported ministry, it's your sharing, your prayers, and your financial gifts 
that help us share God's Word on the radio and web, promoting the truth our culture desperately needs to hear. So would you stand with us today? Your contribution is not just a gift. It's a testament to the enduring power of faith and the transformative impact of the gospel. You can call 844-7-JOURNEY. That's 844-756-8763. Or give online at thejourney.fm. And when you do, we'll say thanks by sending you an encouraging book by pastor and best-selling author Chuck Swindoll. Join Chuck as he explores the life and legacy of Moses, a man of selfless dedication. From the Moses who tried to decline his assignment from God to the Moses who received the Ten Commandments, this book shares his journey in a new light and will inspire you to overcome and succeed in your own life and ministry. You can request your copy today when you call 844-7-JOURNEY. That's 844-756-8763. Or give online at thejourney.fm. Well, I'm Tim Svoboda. Join us again tomorrow when Pastor Steve concludes today's message titled, If you like Moses, you'll love Jesus. That's Friday on The Journey. Today's program was produced and furnished by Bethel Church in Crown Point, Indiana.